Welcome to episode 41 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, there are good people out on the trail who want to help. We'll show you five ways you can pay that kindness forward. On the Summit Gear Review, you may want to think twice about what insects you allow in your pack, especially the fire ant. For the backpack hack of the week, Revlon has 72 glamorous ways to make sure you never lose a tent stake again. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom that applies to just about everyone. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. A few weeks ago, we took a trip out into the Oregon Coast Range. There's a highway that heads over towards Tillamook, Oregon, the place where the famous cheese factory is. And it goes, it, it cuts through the Oregon Coast Range, and there's just a ton of hiking trails there. And also a forest center that's run by the state. It's free and apparently has all kinds of cool activities to learn about the forest. And by the fact that I said apparently, that may be a clue that we never actually made it to the forest center <laughs> on that trip a few weeks ago. We did a, a day hike first before the forest center, and then some things happened and we never made it. We want to kind of share the story of what happened on this trip. So we were headed out that morning, uh, heading uphill, kind of, you know, getting close to the crest of the coast range. And uh, we were coming up on this uh, kind of viewpoint area. So we decided to pull off to the viewpoint and they had a sign with a map on it. And I jumped out real quick to look at the map and just make sure that I would recognize the turnoff for the road that we were going to take to our hiking trail, which was uh, University Falls. As I was running back to the van to uh, continue on up the hill, there was a couple walking into the parking lot at this viewpoint. And they stopped us and said, well, do you have cell service? And uh, we both looked at our phones. Nope, no cell service. I don't think any carrier provides cell service at that spot. And they told us that the clutch had gone out on their car. And I hadn't even noticed, but sure enough, about a half mile back down the road, their car was sitting right there on the shoulder. And so they were trying to get up to a higher point where they thought they could get a cell signal and make a phone call to AAA and get it towed. Well, in the coast range, the further you go, the less likely you are to get a cell signal, I think. And so we were like, well, you know, really the best bet is to go back downhill. But that was going to be a long walk. I mean, the last point of civilization was, I think it was four miles down the road. So we decided, okay, what we'll do is Heather and the kids will stay here at the viewpoint. I invited them to hop into our van and I drove them down the road to this uh, little store and figured they'd be able to get help there. E you know, even if they didn't have a cell signal, they could borrow a phone. So I did that. It only took me, I don't know, what do you think? Or like 10 minutes, if that. 10 minutes round trip, probably, mm -hmm. to head uh, down the hill, drop them off, said, hey, good luck, and back up the hill. So then I picked up the family and we went another, uh, just a couple minutes further on the highway to our turnoff and headed up a uh, gravel road for, I think the gravel road was about four miles from the highway. 
pulled in and parked at the University Falls trailhead. And as soon as I opened the door, I heard, (laughs) which is not a good sound. No. I jumped out and uh, quickly discovered that it was the driver's side rear tire. And it must have been punctured just seconds before we pulled into the parking lot because it was losing air fast. So, you know, I mobilized quickly, jacked up the van, um, realized that we had actually never used the spare tire before. Pulled the spare tire out. It had never been used before. It still had like those little rubber things that, you know, when it comes out of the factory. And it was completely flat. Yeah, the owner's manual said you're going to need to check it once a year and make sure that you pump it up and keep it inflated. (laughs) What? (laughs) I thought that those donut-style spare tires were non-inflated tires. I thought they were just solid rubber tires. I learned something a few weeks ago, (laughs) that those spare tires actually are inflatable tires. And yes, you should check them probably every time you have your tires rotated would probably be a good way to go course we'd never checked ours in 10 years yeah Yeah. well yeah we've had the van for 10 years it's 15 years old and that tire was probably inflated only once when it came out of the factory right so we were stuck four miles from the highway up a gravel road with a flat tire and a flat spare so here's the cool thing right as we realized that our options were dwindling and we were probably going to be stuck there for a long time or hiking for miles and miles back to the road, we saw someone come off the trail. And this guy was maybe seven or eight feet tall, covered with hair, slightly hunched over and uh, didn't speak a lick of English, just kind of grunted and he came over offered help. It was it was incredible. <laughs> and he inflated our spare tire with his breath. It was it was awesome. Okay. I, our story has gone off track. <laughs> and then he walked back into the forest without a sound. So actually what really happened was a guy finished up his his hike on the trail at University Falls and was hiking with his little daughter Kind of as he was packing up his gear and getting things all put away in his car, he asked us, you know, how are you guys doing? Need help? Looks like you're you're in trouble there. And and we kind of explained our spare was not going to work for us. So we ended up packaging up the spare in a few garbage bags. And this good Samaritan offered Josh a ride into town so that he could get the spare pumped up. Yeah, well, it was actually a ride back to to that store out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And uh, so he introduced himself as Jason, and uh, we headed out the four miles back to the highway and then the other four miles down the highway to the store. It was fun. Chatted about backpacking and camping and hiking, chatted a little bit about work. We both work from home, um, had a lot in common. And of course, I was so grateful (laughs) that I was being transported these eight miles back to that store. Hiking eight miles while carrying a spare tire in my hands did not sound fun. (laughs) Hitchhiking didn't sound fun either. I was kind of mentally preparing for the hitchhiking trip to get back up the eight miles. I figured, okay, I'll hitchhike four miles up the highway, and then I'll have to get out and wait for someone to come on that dirt road who happens to be going to University Falls, hitchhike with them, and it might be all day. Anyway, we got down to the store with the spare tire and uh, pulled up right in front of 
the couple that was waiting for the tow truck. <laughs> and I said, hi, I'm back. Uh, so we had a good laugh over that. I went into the store and they had a little section for bike repair stuff and they had a $10 foot pump for sale. And while Jason and this other couple were kind of standing around, uh, the four of us just kind of stood and chatted while I pumped our spare tire. And uh, of course, I wanted to pump it up there to make sure it would actually hold air. And it seemed like it did. So we threw it back in Jason's car and went back up the hill. And I was just so amazed that he not only brought me down the hill, because that was on his way home. That was great. But then he took the time out of his day to take me back up the hill and then turn around and head for home again. So he probably took an hour out of his day to help me with this um, crisis that we had. I uh, got back up to the trailhead, put on the spare tire. As I was lowering the van off of the jack, I heard a little bit, but it stopped after a certain point. So I don't think the spare tire was completely airtight, but it seemed to be able to hold about 40 pounds of air. And that was good enough to like make me really nervous, but at the same time, not dangerous, and we made it. So we never went to the Tillamook Forest Center, but we did make it back out of the hills, back down the highway, um, went straight to Forest Grove and, uh, and found the tire place, had them patch. A forest uh, Grove is the name of a town. A town, yeah. Forest Grove. <laughs> <laughs> Towns in Oregon are named like that. They're all so nice. Anyway, uh, went to the tire place. They got it patched while we went to a park and picnicked for a while as a family. And uh, we made it home. An experience that could have turned out to be very difficult. We could have been out there all day. We could have caused major problems to the van if we tried to drive on a flat tire. We could have had issues with running out of food and water. And uh, none of that happened because another hiker was there and offered to help. It was amazing. So Jason, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you so much. Well, we wanted to dedicate our top five list today to all of the backpackers and hikers out there that show kindness on the trail. This is our top five kind gestures on the trail list. And it's actually based on a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And he has this idea that everyone has a preferred way of receiving love or kindness. So we want to show you how to apply this concept to your time on the trail. The number one kind gesture on the trail is acts of service. This can look like picking up trash along the trail. It can be clearing fallen branches from the trail so the people behind you don't have to stumble over them. It can even be an act of rescue, as we experienced a few weeks ago. And no matter what my primary love language is personally, of course, when you're stuck and someone rescues you, I mean, I, you know, I'll always be grateful for that. Yeah, one um, act of service that I saw on our Mount Hood trip was one of the guys in our group was really having a hard time with his pack. It was heavy and he was kind of discouraged. And so another guy in our group offered to carry his pack. And I think that's a beautiful act of service when you're not only carrying your own pack that's, you know, 40 pounds or whatever, but you're carrying a trailmate's pack. The number two kind gesture on the trail would be words of affirmation. So even just in passing, little things like 
hey, cool pack, or, you know, whatever, nice bandana. Those are just kind of nice in passing. It's not like you're going to have a 10-minute conversation with someone. You just give them a little a boost. Or another thing is advice, just friendly trail advice, like, hey, you guys might want to cross this river a little bit further down where there's a fallen log, you know, something like that. Another thing that I really appreciate is when they give like a thumbs up or, hey, you guys are doing a great job to my children. When people see kids on the trail, it's always, you know, their their pack is almost bigger than their body. <laughs> and so any encouragement that those kids get, it just makes their confidence soar and they feel so great. So those words of affirmation mean a lot. If you're someone who's been into backpacking for a while and you're kind of using this podcast as a way to introduce someone you love to backpacking and it's a new thing for them, words of affirmation can go a long way. Like when you... um decided to go on our Mount Hood trip. It was only a week before the trip. And we've talked about that on some previous episodes about that whirlwind week of getting ready. And you blew me away with how you did on that trip. Well, my love language is words of affirmation. So thank you. The number three kind gesture on the trail would be physical affection. And since this doesn't really apply in a lot of ways, we're going to call it a physical gesture. So um, I view this as being like a helping hand. When you reach out your hand to help someone across up onto a rock, to cross a river or up a steep part of the trail, that helping hand is very appreciated. I really appreciated those times where I was helped along on the trail. You know, there were some really challenging parts where it was so steep or it was so craggy and slippery that just having someone's hand to hold on to for balance, um, like even the Gnarl Ridge area on that hike where the winds were blowing yeah, 40 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, I really appreciated having the stability of a hand to hold. And you've mentioned to me that it's not so much like, oh, that I couldn't have done it without that help. It's the gesture. It's that you know that you're in a group of people who are caring for each other and keeping each other safe. So true. Another physical gesture that even goes beyond being kind is administering first aid. When you come across someone who has had an injury or if someone in your group is dealing with an injury, anything you can do to offer relief or repair is great. The number four kind gesture on the trail is time. And this can include just walking with someone. A lot of times on the trail, there's not room for two people to walk side by side, but just knowing that there's someone a few feet in front of you or a few feet behind you and that you're, you're in this together is really meaningful. Sitting and listening or telling stories by the fire, just that time that you spend together telling stories is so fun. And if you're new to backpacking or if you are hopelessly in love <laughs> with someone who wants you to love backpacking, taking the time off to go on a trip, that is a huge gesture. And this is where it's at for me. I mean, I love getting out and going hiking and, and all the benefits that being out in nature provides to me. Um, and I would do that with or without you. But when you come along, that's, it's the gesture of spending time with me. That's one that just really resonates with me. The number five kind gesture on the trail is gifts. And at one point on our Mount Hood hike, we saw this little pile of rocks, 
little tiny rocks on top of a big rock. And as we got closer, we saw that these little tiny rocks actually spelled out something. And it said, you are loved. We don't know who did it. We don't know when they did it. I mean, the rocks could have been placed by the hiker in front of us or the hiker 10 days before us. But um, that was really just a really nice gesture. Even some sticks arranged in the shape of an arrow on the trail can be a form of gift that, oh, okay, the people ahead of us, we're here, we're not off track, and they're thinking of us. We've mentioned before that one of our kids really responds to gifts. Uh, If we can give him some cool piece of gear before a trip, or even just um, some food that he likes while we're on the trip, it can completely turn him around. It's amazing. Another gift that you can give on the trail is a try my gear out for a day gift. So if someone says, hey, cool stove, you can say, hey, you know, do you want to try it out? That's just a way of sharing what you have. Yeah, so you don't need to pack along additional stuff in order to give gifts, right? Like you're not adding these gifts to your pack like you would when you go visit your relatives and you bring gifts or something. Right. You know, and and you don't have to like pack a watermelon in your pack like I did for my brother's (laughs) birthday. You can use what you already have and share it with others. And food is always a welcome gift. Sharing trail mix or sharing whatever you have that's extra It's always fun. Just make sure you don't leave your extra food as a quote-unquote gift in bear boxes. Usually that's kind of an unwanted gift, and that food ends up not not being used by anyone. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty icky. (laughs) Well, so these five love languages, you know, I mean, they apply in general to life. And uh, it was fun today to apply them specifically to backpacking. Think about that on your next trip. Acts of service, words of affirmation, physical gestures spending time together, and gifts. And thank you to Gary Chapman for coming up with the five love languages. I hope we're not stepping on his toes. Go out and buy the book. Hey, we'll say that. Does that cover our bases? I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) If you're a copyright lawyer. Then our number is. These are not the droids you're looking for. (laughs) Let's move on to the Summit Gear Review. Let's do that. Today we are reviewing the Ember Lit Fire Ant. The last house that we lived in had a cast iron wood-burning stove. It was huge, it was heavy, and it had the words Big Piney on the front of it. We weren't really in love with this stove, so we ended up selling it. And when the guys came to pick it up, it took three people to remove the stove, load it onto the dolly, and wheel it out to the truck. I have no idea how much it weighed. Do you have a guess, Josh? Hundreds of pounds. I don't know how many hundreds of pounds. Yeah. Well, today we are reviewing a wood-burning stove, but it is nothing like Big Piney. This is the Emberlit Fire Ant. Not only is it a wood-burning stove, but it is the lightest wood-burning stove you will ever find. It's made of titanium, which has a really high strength-to-weight ratio. Actually has a melting point of 3,000 degrees, which is why it's great for stoves. It's fully collapsible, so you literally can fit this stove in your back pocket. All of the pieces for this stove fit together like a puzzle. And then once the stove is put together, it's extremely sturdy. So you can cook a full camp meal on it or just a little meal for yourself. 
The ember lit fire ant burns wood and what you do is you put the wood through this little side feed hole. So you don't really stick it in the top. You feed all the wood through the side and you can use anything. You can use sticks, pine cones, buffalo chips, forest debris, really any of that stuff that's just kind of around your campsite there. The great thing also about this stove is that it has a tray that's raised so that you can use a fuel tablet. So you don't have to use just forest debris. If you know you're going to be camping in some of that rocks, drizz- well, rocks or drizzly <laughs> autumn weather where the forest debris is going to be soaked all the way through, then definitely bring a few tablets with you so you can at least warm up your dinner. It's just a good backup plan. The entire stove collapses down and um, I asked my kids to describe how much space they thought the stove took. They said it took up the space of a mac and cheese cheese powder packet. So not the whole box, just the cheese powder packet inside the mac and cheese box. And we don't eat mac and cheese that often, so it just made me laugh that that's what they compared it to. I don't know. That's a good reference point. Everyone can... We can kind of visualize it. So imagine that in your back pocket. Um, Collapsed, it's five inches by three and a half inches, and it's just under a quarter inch thick. So the whole thing is thinner than the Fire Safety Merit Badge pamphlet, which is one of the easiest merit badges to obtain. Cool. So this thing, (laughs) Collapsed Down, is the size of a three by five card. Well, three and a half by five. Roughly. And it's only a quarter inch thick. So thin. And it weighs 2.8 ounces. And the great thing is you don't have to carry fuel. You've got the fuel all around you. Yeah, and you're not cutting down trees to get fuel, right? I mean, you're you're scraping up pine cones that are, they're just going to turn to dirt over winter anyway. Right. I, I mean, they're so easy to find the fuel. Well, for maintenance, when you first receive your fire ant, you may want to go over some of those edges with a piece of fine steel wool just to ensure that those kind of production burrs are smoothed out and that it won't slice its way through the storage sack. When you're putting it together, just make sure you don't force the parts together. Just follow the instructions and it should come together pretty intuitively. You'll want to store the fire ant in its stuff sack to prevent your gear from getting sooty because when you burn stuff from the forest, it creates soot, which is a little bit different from uh, some of the other stoves that we've talked about that don't produce soot. So that's, you know, one of the issues. It may not even be a downside for most backpackers. I know most outdoors people aren't averse. Yeah, soot averse. Soot averse. (laughs) (laughs) They're okay with a little dirt a little, you know, but you probably don't want it all over. Soot is a little bit more... uh, Like it's almost oily or something. It really sticks to stuff. Like dirt, you can just kind of brush off your pants, but soot is tenacious. This stove is $70. As we tested this out, we noticed that it did require a little more cleanup afterwards. Not only does the stove itself get a little bit sooty, But the mug that you use is going to get a little bit sooty on the bottom too. So make sure you bring along a dedicated rag or a scrubby and some soap for cleaning up the soot on the stove and your pot. Also, it requires a little bit of babysitting during use so that you don't accidentally let the fire burn outside of the fire ant. So say you put a stick in the fire ant that kind of sticks out the side, you know, maybe eight inches. As the stick is burned up and consumed inside the fire ant, 
if you're not careful, that stick will tilt out. So make sure that you're always watching it. Never leave it unattended and uh, you should be fine. Another thing you will want to be aware of is if there is a burn ban in your area, you'll need to find an alternate way of preparing your food since you won't be able to use the fire ant. So that's something we've had to kind of consider this summer. It's just been so hot and dry where we are. But overall, I love the idea of going fuelless. I love it. We've reviewed several stoves on the podcast over various episodes, and uh, one of them was a jet boil. And uh, that's kind of uh, tends to be my style. And then we've uh, reviewed alternative types of stoves. So this is definitely, you, you like this stuff. <laughs> I do. I like cooking. I think it's great. It's fun. Food is really important on the trail. <laughs> In fact, yesterday I made something really fun that I am going to put in our backpack hack of the week soon. That's a new trail food. Mm. So I'm testing out recipes all the time. This one's a winner. I'm excited about it. Anyway, I digress. This stove is easy to use. It requires some basic fire starting skills. The great thing about the fire that you're going to build inside this little ember lit fire ant is that it's a small fire. So really, if you can just keep some little baby sticks burning and some pine cones, then you're good. You don't have to build the teepee or anything. You just have to keep those little sticks burning. And, you know, it does take a little bit longer than pushing a button, but it takes up way less space in your pack. I was thinking, you know, that kind of common meme of like um, white man's fire versus Native American's fire. Yeah. You know, the big versus the small effective fire. And uh-huh. and, and I was kind of thinking, you know what, um, how could you tell a backpacker's backyard from anyone else's backyard? <laughs> right? Everyone else has the fire pit or fire bowl thing. The backpacker has an ember lit in their backyard <laughs> with this tiny fire. And if they're anything like us, they take their kids out there in the evening <laughs> and they huddle around the emberlet with marshmallows. We did that. <laughs> it was lots of fun. It was. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. So yeah, this is definitely something, if you just want a really cool, flat, small stove, one that's not bulky, this is the way to go. Today's backpack hack of the week is do-it-yourself tent stake marking. Now, back on episode 15, we gave you a hack for creating waterproof matches using fingernail polish. Now, if you're a guy and you went out and you bought fingernail polish just so you could do that hack, you now have lots of leftover fingernail polish and nothing to do with it. So we came up with this hack. Well, first, why do you even need to mark your tent stakes? They're a tripping hazard for sure. A lot of times, don't you like pull really hard and sometimes they fly off into the bushes? They can end up anywhere, especially when kids are involved. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Another thing is like if you're just loading gear into the van and they end up getting loose or something. Yeah. And how many times do you see tent stakes when you show up at a campsite somewhere? So this kind of distinguishes your tent stakes, but it also marks them so they're more visible, easier to see. So you'll need one bottle of bright nail polish, and the brighter the better. I guess neon has been trendy for a few years now, and so you can easily find those super bright neon colors. I'm pretty sure that nail polish is made of the same stuff as car paint. 
Well, it smells a lot like it. It smells like it. Um, so this should last a while on your tent stakes. And you'll just want to paint maybe the top inch, the top two inches of your tent stakes and let them dry completely. Now, any woman who's ever painted her nails knows that the paint takes a while to dry. Even, I don't know, it seems like several hours after you've painted your nails, they're still kind of, uh, the paint's kind of soft. So definitely give these at least 24 hours to dry. Um, if you happen to have a bottle of quick dry top coat in your house, you could even try that on there and see if you can get it to dry a little bit faster. Give it a gloss, nice sheen. Quick dry top coat. Yeah, like you paint your nails and they take forever to dry. So you paint this stuff on top, makes it faster, Drying. I don't know why they don't just mix the two together. <laughs> okay, guys, in case that didn't make any sense, when you paint a car, you've got base coat and clear coat. And apparently, the ladies have the same setup with fingernail polish. Exactly. Wow. I think we just came together on something. <laughs> oh, this was a breakthrough. This is a breakthrough episode. <laughs> you know, there becomes a point in every episode where we decide to just share some trail wisdom. I think it's time to end. <laughs> it's been a good one. Today's trail wisdom is good medicine for everyone. It's by Jacqueline Schiff. And she said, the best remedy for a short temper is a long walk. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. Kind trail dressed restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like restaurant. Trail restaurant on the trail. <laughs> Even some sticks in a jar <laughs> handed to the woman you love. <laughs> it's like a bouquet. Sticks. Here, have some sticks.